You're listening to Not Another Diet, the podcast, episode seven. Is Ozempic just another diet? We're gonna explore today the role of injectables in your weight loss journey. Now, nothing that I'm gonna say to you is giving you medical advice directly. I'm too smart for that. You're too smart for that. The purpose of today's episode is to bring up some questions, some larger issues about the role of these drugs in weight loss in general, and have you thinking a little bit differently about something that is probably super tempting. I know we're discussing it in my group coaching and it's on everyone's mind. And I'll be honest with you, when I first heard about the drugs, even I, who don't doesn't have any weight to lose, thought, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what it would do for me. So if you know I'm susceptible to it, then I have to imagine that someone who's still struggling with chronic weight gain is also thinking about it. So let's get into it. First things first, let's talk about who I'm directing this podcast at, because I, I certainly don't think that there there's no application for this drug that is useful. That's that's not my contention, or really even something I'm qualified to say. What I who I more want to speak to is someone who was in my particular stage of life for 20 plus years, which is dealing with chronic weight gain. So, as I define chronic weight gain, it's that your weight is goes up and you beat it back down with diets over over time but then it comes back and then likely even more in past episodes i've talked about how dieting actually traps you into chronic weight gain so hopefully you've listened to those episodes and you've got that good base of knowledge going forward into this particular one but you know people there are people who've who've struggled over a lifetime with 20 and then 30 and then 40 or in my particular case 55 pounds of weight gain um, by the time I was at the very end of my long period with um, chronic weight gain. And I think I'm talking to them because to me, that seems like a particularly vulnerable part of the population who probably is pretty actively considering semi-glutides in some particular way. I mean, you can't avoid them in the news anymore, <laughs> you know, like so-and-so, and then you see people that you haven't seen in six months and they look like completely different people. And you think, oh my God, you know, how could you, it's so pervasive in the news. How could you not in some way frame yourself to these drugs? And, you know, I, I think is a good time to share with you how I feel about them myself personally now that i'm about i'm going on 14 years of weight stability now so the weight came off as i've mentioned or i've talked about in prior episodes you know but 14 years later i am so grateful so grateful that these drugs were not available to me and the reason is that the process of finally I don't, I don't like to say tackling weight loss because that sort of makes it sound like it's this thing that you're going to wrestle with, you know, but I think the process of learning how to reframe my relationships, how to be a person who can be consistent, how to deal with temptations, how to self-soothe, all of these were actually a crucial part of my personal development as a person. And they have really informed my self-concept. I am now a person who thinks differently about myself as a result of going through this process. I think of the weight stability or the weight loss. Again, if you've listened to prior episodes, and I hope you have, you know that I don't make any distinction between weight loss and weight maintenance, right? Like how you lose the weight is how you have to live. And learning how to live <laughs> is actually how you lose the weight. So I cherish that process now 14 years later i cherish it it's like an asset and it belongs to me and i think if i had been presented with that drug you know i try to put myself back in that position if i had been presented with that drug you know 14 years ago where i was 55 pounds and i didn't feel good and getting dressed was difficult and 
getting in pictures was difficult and sports that I wanted to do were difficult, I probably would have been very tempted. So if you haven't done it, kudos to you. <laughs> um, you know, you've, you've withstood the temptation so far. So what I want to do is really get into and examine together the, um, some ways to think about, uh, the, about these drugs, right? So some way to think about how to examine them with some clarity that's outside of both diet culture and the medical community. These are sort of larger ideas. And you might be thinking, why are you talking about this? Well, you know, somebody needs to pick on this subject and I'm gonna volunteer myself now for this simply because so much of my time is informed thinking about how to help people exit diet culture and how to finally make progress on something that I know, you know, chronic weight gain brings chronic thinking, right? Like it's like in your head all the time and you're consumed by it in some, in, in various parts of your life or pushing it away and trying not to think about it. But either way, that's a lot of energy spent on what turns out to be a difficult subject. Now, I'm picking on this because we are starting to see it enter into culture in a problematic way. Now you're seeing it injected in, uh, into people at med spas alongside Botox, right? And what I think is problem, I mean, there's many problematic things about that. One is that they're giving people huge doses, which who knows how that's gonna affect them long-term. But put that aside for a second. This really speaks to the aesthetic side of weight loss. This speaks to the part of you that's like, I want to be thin, you know, or I could just look better and then, you know, get what the world promises you when you look a certain way. But that kind of idealized thinking is what is a slippery slope to self-harm, to actually hurting yourself. I'm not suggesting Botox is self-harm. What I am suggesting is look at it under the umbrella of how it's being delivered to you and the kind of thinking that it encourages. You know, you could do this to your face, you could do this to your body, but injecting something that has a significant disruption is to, to, your, <laughs> to all your systems. Again, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not, I'm not suggesting I understand exactly what it's doing, but I, I have some idea of what it's doing. And when a weight loss medication is being delivered to you in an aesthetic environment, you have to ask what's actually being sold. It's not health, it's beauty. And beauty is part of social capital. It's part of how we value people in society in the hierarchy of what's good, which of course is another extension of consumer culture. And I could go down a whole rabbit hole of that, but let's back up for a second. There was an amazing article in the New York Times recently. They had done a, a very small micro study of who is using these drugs within the city of New York. And it, it wasn't really a big surprise to me, but it was interesting to see it in print. And who was using these drugs with a high proportion were wealthy people. And these are people who have access to good nutrition, plenty of time for self-care, plenty of time for movement. So I'm gonna extrapolate from there, but you know, go with me. I have to assume that what is happening in those environments is that this drug is being used to get an extra degree of thinness. And this extra degree of thinness is social capital in that environment. Now, I don't respond to any of that. I'm not a rich person, so that helps a little bit. But more than that, I've thought this through in a very particular way, which is that the worship of thinness is really um, is what leads to doing problematic things with your health, making short-term decisions, giving that sort of slippery thinking about doing things that you think are probably not great for you, but you're gonna do it anyway because look how it elevates you in society. I sort of reject all of that, actually. I think we should stop thinking about thinness as social capital. I don't think rich people are gonna listen to me, so that's fine, but you know, thinness at best is a body type. So if you happen to have that body type, of course, that's a that's great, you know. But lots of people, including me, were not born with thin body types. I, I have big bones and muscles and, uh, you know, and I'm really proud of that. And I don't idealize that body type. I, I think of weight care or my self-care 
really as being what is the best thing for my body? What is the best thing for me? How, how can I best support myself through my health journey? And your body ending up wherever it ends up is the product of that care. This is another aspect of goal weights. We've all been trained to have goal weights, right? And uh, so you have this number. It, we've been trained in so many ways through diet culture to think in terms of weight and ourselves and our lives and our health decisions through the lens of a diet culture. And I think though, if you are, if you're at all attracted to my work, that's probably not you, but it is worth excavating out of yourself, out of your own thinking, where that sneaks in. And, you know, I'd love to tell you that it never sneaks back into my thinking, but it absolutely does. And I have constantly have to reframe the, the weight loss thinking, dieting thinking, beauty culture, aging culture, there's all kinds of things that come in through um, consumer culture, essentially, that really change how we think about ourselves or like, should I look younger? Should I do this? Should I, you know, manipulate myself in this particular way or that particular way? And it won't surprise you to know that I'm not a big fan of beauty culture either. Um, I think there's a ton of parallels with diet culture, but certainly being suggested to inject yourself with medication that really hasn't had studies to show what it's going to do to you long term speaks to beauty culture as affected by diet culture or diet culture as affected by beauty culture. If you enjoy my work or if you're listening to this podcast, I, what I hope is that what you're doing is exploring what could work for you to have a healthy weight. and. I purposely use the word explore so that you don't engage in self-harming schemes. You don't have a glittery number. You don't have this idealized version of your body. You don't think of yourself as being good or bad, but that you explore what could work over a lifetime. Now, let's get into whether or not this is a diet. And, you know, I'm like, I'm too smart to ask questions that I'm absolutely going to give the answers to because I think that's doing you a disservice. I, I'm going to ask questions and then what I want you to do is think for yourself, you know, like I'm talking to you about it through this podcast and through what I'm, th through the work that I'm doing, but I really want the questions to belong to you because in the end, it's going to be your own good thinking uh, that leads you to the right answer. And I am a big believer a big believer in every possible way of learning to trust yourself again. I, you know, I go to therapy to learn to trust myself again. I teach people how to use their hunger to trust themselves again. This is really important to run all this stuff through you, but with good information. And if you trust me a little bit, which I hope you do since you're listening, you know, you'll hear my opinion on this. One great metric to observe this whole rise of semi-glutides is to think, how will we think about this in 10 years? You know, and there's some clues in the past as to things that people have done to lose weight. You know, people went on Atkins and then came out with really bad cholesterol. And then by the way, couldn't really live without carbs anyway. Um, people did grapefruit diets. People, uh, you know, if you take from the, from the cigarette industry, and it's not an exact parallel by, by any means, but like vaping was the you know, the safer alternative, and now it turns out that it brings its own sort of cancer. There's just all kinds of issues when we wholeheartedly jump on something that is supposed to be the miracle, the, the fix. And I do think that this idea of the fix is one of the problems. And that's one of the reasons I started out this entire season of, of this conversation I had where the couple was asking me, tell me the thing boil it down. What's the thing? There is no thing. There is no thing. And thinking of semi-glutides or Ozempic, and I'm, again, I use these interchangeably as the thing, the miracle, is uh, really breathless PR. And there's not a ton of evidence to show yet that that is really the case. And I'm, I wonder how it's all gonna play out over time. Now, we're trying to figure out whether Ozempic is a diet. Here is an interesting clue. Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers, by any definition, is a diet. There is no other way to say it. It is actually built on calorie counting. I understand they have points because you don't wanna 
sit around tallying numbers, but um, which it still is a number, but whatever. Maybe that feels better in the moment. It is absolutely a diet. I don't care how, which way you slice it, 100%. So it is a diet company, right? And what, what has happened in the world at large is that you have a diet company that is now facing a new reality in the world, which is that there is a growing awareness among pretty much everyone, including medical professionals, that diets don't work. We have irrefutable evidence, right? And there is the anti-dieting backlash, which has been swept up in weight loss, but hopefully if you've listened um, through these episodes, you're able to separate it a little bit better. In any case, you can see where that would be a very tough position for a diet company to be, which is <laughs> your main and essential product is actually something that is recognized as not working. So what do you do? Well, in this particular case, you go and acquire a telehealth company that is now giving prescriptions for semi-glutides. And that to me is a really good indicator that we're, we're if the drug is not a diet drug, it is being used in a diet context, which makes it a diet drug. So that's, you know, that's a little bit, um, there's, there's some evolution in thinking there, but that's, I think it's important to contextualize, you know, med spas, telehealth companies, um, owned by diet companies. <laughs> now you might say, well, I could get it from my doctor. We're going to cover that one too, but let's, let's, I want to I want to pull out for a second. I want to I want to take a step back because I do think it's really important to see the whole system at large. Um, and you might say, well, they're just adapting for better technologies. No, I don't think so. Now, if you've listened through the episodes, in the very last episode, we covered food processing, which I am absolute believer that um, the ever increasing amount of food processing is really what's behind the huge rise in obesity that continues on to this day. And with the rise of obesity comes the rise of diet culture, right? So it's like the food gets you and now you're being given methods to suppress your eating. Well, this is a little bit different in that you inject it and it works on your brain and your system, but it essentially does the same thing. It, it artificially and, um, and depending on how much you use the drug, it does it uh, temporarily, right? So in any case, you've got, back up for a second, you have food processing, and then there was the diet culture uh, method of counting calories. You were, we were going to count our way out of this, which episode four and five, I covered that, like, and I will die on that hill. <laughs> I hate calorie counting forever and ever, always, amen. But, uh, and now that it's not, it's shown that it doesn't really work very well. Now we're in this, um, we're in semi-glutide uh, territory. And so this is where the arc, where I want you to see the arc. And really what my entire platform is, is to help people see their way out of this whole thing. I, I absolutely think you can um, bring calm to your eating, calm into your brain, calm into your life, but you, you have to think a little bit differently about where all of those triggers are coming instead of thinking, well, I am just this way, right? So there's this amazing article and I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Okay. And it was the, the title will tell you everything about, um, the, the, the extrapolations that I'm making or the connections that I'm making. That's a better term. It's called big food, the Diet Industrial Complex, and now Miracle Drugs. It's written by a woman named Rita McGrath. And I'm going to give you a quote from there that uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you should be able to see it on the screen. The unintended consequence of Big Food's business model, making many, if not most, people fatter and sicker, and the ineffective antidote offered by the diet industry, enter a new kind of competition offering drugs that promise weight loss without willpower. The weight challenges largely created by big food spawned an entire $80 billion industry dedicated to correcting the problems of overconsumption. So that quote is something that I hope you go and read the whole thing. It's really well written and it makes important connections. And one of them is that who is benefiting from ultra processing of food 
a lot is the diet industry and now by extension ozempic semi-glutides telehealth companies giving these prescriptions and then god forbid which i hope gets regulated med spas that's the last one right so i think of this as a maze okay you know those corn mazes you weren't supposed to find your way out of and you're just bumping you're bumping into one wall and another but you're in the maze and overconsumption of processed foods diets and now ozempic are all in the maze the maze is basically a system where you can never win where you are an endless source of revenue for diet companies ultra processed foods and i don't know whoever is given out the prescription for these things much of the way that i understand permanent or stable weight loss really has to do with exiting this maze. And to do that, you have to begin the process of thinking very differently about weight loss, which is part of the reason that I've done this podcast. But for the purposes of this point, what I'm trying to say is that when you're still thinking, should I do semi-glutide? Should I do this diet? Should I, how do I make myself eat less? You're trapped in the maze and the maze is essentially, I'm going to wrap my arms around the whole thing and just say it's diet culture. That's the maze. One of the things that I do when a new member comes into the program is really talk to them about their lifetime experience. I love it. Like I really love to hear about people's stories and also get a lot of perspective on backgrounds, on mindsets, on what people have tried, on where they are in their in their journey. Are they in you know a period of deep frustration, or have they made peace with some of it? I don't you know it's it's hard to tell until I talk to them. But one story has really um, jumped out at me for the purposes of this podcast, and I had her permission to um, bring it to you, and. I'm going to give you the beginning of the story and then the end of the story um, at the end of this podcast. So you really want to stay tuned to hear how how the outcome of it. But basically, I have a member who um, she's long been in the program now. But um, in the beginning, when before she was considering doing this or as she was considering it, she had gone to see her doctor. And I think she had maybe, I don't know, 25 to 35 pounds of, you know, it fluctuates of chronic weight gain, a lot of time on the apps, a lot of time counting and tracking. In fact, I think she would tell you that she probably did it over a lifetime. And those were her words, not mine. And, you know, for background, um, she's a very savvy woman. She works for a large uh, university medical system um, as an executive. Like, this is a person who has always had good health care available to them. So I, I won't name the system, but you would recognize it if you heard it. And um, so in any case, she goes to see her doctor about this issue. Or maybe it's during a physical, whatever, and bring up the subject of weight. There is weight gain that she's dealing with and she wants to know how to handle it with her doctor she wants to have a deeper conversation about it and you know she's basically given three um, answers from the doctor which are to accept it which out of the three i will tell you i like that one the best um it's not that i think everyone has to accept weight gain in fact i think i'm going to do an episode about that but that that's the least self-harming of the three that were given so um that's the best one the second one was to see um, a nutritionist as part of the program. They had they had an like a, a essentially a nutritional counseling program as part of this whole thing, and you would go see a registered nutritionist. Which, you know, I like, and she was doing that while she was evaluating my program. And you know, to that I say like, great, yeah. I mean, I can only work well with good science, good behavior science, good nutritional science. Everything that I teach can only work well with that. Where it's going to run afoul is if they bring in diet culture techniques and ideas. And um, so the so that was one option to go see the nutritional, do nutritional counseling, which I think she did go to for the initial appointment. And then the third was to take the semi-glutides. Um, and uh, the, so the, that was it. Those were the three uh, to go see the doctor. And I think a lot of people have that experience. This is who they're bringing their problem to. They're having a problem with their body right? So it looks like a problem with the body. And then you take it to a physician who is an expert in the body. 
Um, and, and, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to dismantle that, but I, I do think that we need to re-examine what the expertise is actually in. Um, and, you know, I've had now two medical doctors go through my program, and that speaks to where expertise actually needs to come from. But I don't want to spoil it. So um, if you've, if you've, if those are the, the three that you're sort of working with, I think you, um, and you know, you, if you have a history of dieting and you don't want to do that again, or you can put a fourth one in and you want to, you're evaluating yet another diet, which I really hope you don't do. Um, but those are, I think what, what she experienced is a very common experience of being given those options and then pretending like those are the only options um, available to you, and they are most definitely not. Let's get into the questions to help us figure out if Ozempic is just another diet. Here's my first one. Is it a temporary measure? Now, you could certainly make a case for doing this over a lifetime, um, even and accepting whatever health consequences come from a, a drug that hasn't been studied for use over a lifetime. And that's, you know, it could be that whatever's happening with weight is worse than um, whatever future consequences may arise from that. That's a different, that's, that's probably not the person I'm really speaking to out of this for this podcast. What I'm speaking to are the people like me who had chronic weight gain and were, are probably approaching this drug thinking, I will do this drug to get to a particular weight and then I'll figure out, then I go off of it and I will figure out how to sustain that. And that's a really difficult place to be. Number one, that's diet culture, uh, weight loss maintenance phase um, thinking and as you probably already know my take on that is how you lose the weight is how you have to live <laughs> choose carefully and i you know you've probably if you're familiar with my work you've heard me say this sentence so many times but i think it it, it i'm amazed at the amount of diet culture inventions where i get to say it all over again and so this is sort of one of them but it really speaks to the temporary nature of how people think of these drugs and what you're missing out of there is a deep and long and wide process to figure out how to get to that healthy weight. You know, the process of learning how to get to a healthy weight is a very important one, and you are upending it through this, um, through doing something short-term and temporary. And I'll go into that a little bit more, but it's worth asking the question, what happens when you go off the drug? And you can do a very quick Google search to um, see for yourself and see all the articles that are going to come up about how quickly the weight comes back. But the New York Times has a great one called Ozempic can cause major weight loss. What happens if you stop taking it? And there's a quote that I'll read for you here. But Ozempic made her nauseated. On the days she used the medication, which she injected with a needle into her stomach, she would dry heave. For a while, Ms. Ford took her doses on weekdays so she wouldn't waste a weekend being sick. But eventually, she told her doctor she didn't want to feel queasy so often. They agreed that she should stop the medication. In just two months, Ms. Ford said she gained all the weight back. That is, uh, you can look across all sorts of experiences to see that once you end the medication, uh, the weight does in fact come back and very rapidly, which speaks to how it affects your body. And the other thing is that we know that one of the few ways that you can injure your metabolism is to lose weight and then put it back on and lose weight and put it back on. And especially if the weight loss is fast and it came at duress. Uh, the, a, a great study was done on the biggest loser participants, which is like I think of that as like the idiocracy version of weight loss, you know, I don't know if anybody's seen that movie about, you know, our society run amok through stupidity and consumerism, basically. But we're all essentially just living out a version of the biggest loser when we come when we think about weight loss. And in fact, my experience with my own weight loss and my members too is very different, very gentle, very slow, 
course, longer lasting, but we don't think of anything that we're doing as temporary at all. From day one, you're thinking about a sense of permanency to your behavior. And I think if you're thinking about taking this drug in a temporary way, then you are treating Ozempic just like another diet. Next question. Does it short circuit the process of learning about food, your triggers for eating, and how your life doesn't allow for good care? If you can't actually see changing really important parts of your life, how much time you have for your own self-care, whether or not you draw boundaries around yourself, whether or not you say no to people when you have been accustomed to saying yes, if you are putting yourself in environments where it is very difficult to um, resist temptation and you don't want to change any of that, you should probably consider taking this drug because you don't have to initially at any of the beginning points of taking this drug answer those questions, which by the way is another parallel into diet culture. When you go on a diet, they're not talking to you about any of the things that I talk to you about, about what, how you're triggering yourself and how you soothe yourself, how you soothe your difficult emotions, which is a big one. It's a huge one. You, you really can't even talk about weight loss without talking about that, about how ultra-processed foods and your emotional environment have melded together for a lot of people to disastrous results, but they are fixable without a drug <laughs> just not you know just not in a overnight kind of way you hear these stories on ozempic where like oh i took the drug and i stopped thinking about food okay and i believe it i do believe it i really do i just think you didn't actually do the work you can do work to get to the same or a similar place and when you skip learning about your triggers you skip learning about your emotional environment you're essentially skipping the part where you get to your weight and you understand how to keep it. And you've done all the personal development work that you really need to do. And frankly, are just kicking the can down the road. If you don't think you're gonna be on this drug the rest of your life, even if you disregard what I'm saying, and you go take the drug and then you go off of it, you still have those questions, except that you didn't have this illuminating process to get there. And you didn't have to deal with food processing or asking or changing Here's a good one, such a good example. If you have kids in the household and you're eating a lot of processed foods um, as a result of feeding them processed foods, which by the way, like that's kind of what kid food has turned into, you, there's a process of renegotiating in your household with your children to bring them along, to have them be a little unhappy with you for a while, but frankly, not over a lifetime. And that's a real discomfort. You have to learn to tolerate some discomfort to actually get to a better place. A lot of people don't want to do that or they think that somehow that's a bad idea or I don't know, you know, so that's, that's speaks to your emotional framework and, um, and work that needs to be done there. In any case, I firmly believe that helping your children eat real food and understand how to take care of themselves is a lifetime gift, lifetime. So these difficult conversations are not ones that I, think are so bad but I understand when you're facing them they can feel difficult and that's really just kicking the can down the road if you don't want to have any of those conversations you don't want to change anything in the household or disrupt anybody else with your needs if that sounds familiar if you're a person who's subjugated your needs and um, are not accustomed to putting them forward and asking for them to be met that can feel very difficult it can probably feel like taking a drug that's going to sort of shut all that down is good. But if you are attracted to my work, and I say this a lot, you know, if you're attracted to my work, what I think you want is a lifetime steady, healthy weight that you no longer have to stress about or think about. But that involves a lot of personal work. And I don't have a way to, sh to make that short for you or simple or 15 minutes a day or easy or, you know, and honestly, when I hear these stories of things injected into your stomach and um, feeling sick and having to deal with all of that, that doesn't sound super easy, but I can see where if you feel a lot of personal discomfort about changing things, that might feel easy. But there's a question to ask you. Are you essentially short-circuiting the process of personal development, right? Next question. 
Is success measured by how quickly I lose weight? Well, why is that important? Because when we embark on diets, and you'll see it in the marketing, uh, you know, one of my least favorite marketing ones these days is a calculator that shows you how much weight you can lose on this particular app um, over time. And again, that's giving you that glimmery number, right? Or glimmery numbers or like, ooh, look at this, ooh, you know? And diets push you to lose weight quickly. And they do that to keep your satisfaction high. So a little bit of what I do when people come into the program is like, I don't care if you lose weight right away, stop asking to lose weight right away. That's not the way it's done. There could be some healing that your body needs after all these years of push-pull with diets. Like, do you know how to support your body in a healthy way? Do you know how to heal it? Do you know how to let your metabolism regulate itself? Those take a minute. That takes a minute to happen. It does not happen overnight. In my case, because I was figuring this all out on the go, it actually took a little over a year to do that for me. Uh, I was happy when I stopped gaining weight. But again, I've been able to speed this up for people because I've learned a lot. But there is a process by which you need to stop and be calm and let focus on the practices and let your weight do what it's going to do over time. And you focus on the practices. But diet culture inverts that. Diet culture says, oh, let's get that weight loss right away. Oh, did you get on the scale? Remember those horrifying weigh-ins, right? Like, did you get on the scale and, uh, and, and, and you lost weight? No, the, the, I don't look at my body this way. I don't look at weight loss this way, but diet culture does. Now, Ozempic, going on Ozempic gives you fast, dramatic weight loss. And in fact, that is the thing that's touted as the success. I personally don't think that is the success. I'll sum it up like this. Fast loss is unstable loss. And I don't think Ozempic is going to change that. I don't think Ozempic does anything to, uh, to change that formula. It has been a formula that has been true over since diet culture began, and it remains. And part of that is that fast loss injures your metabolism. It does all kinds of things for long-term problems, or at least fast loss and then regain. But putting a big downward pressure on your weight from day one is diet culture. And so if you're thinking about this drug and success in this particular way, I think you are engaging in, in diet culture. It's just that simple. So then the question is, is it safe? And I think that's a mixed bag of a, of a question, right? Like, we're obviously it's not going to kill you when you take it like even if you experience extreme discomfort i don't think people are dying as a result of that although the side effects do sound uh really really terrible and now there's um compounding pharmacies that are making unstable versions of this because the demand has been so high and med spas by the way are injecting people with massive doses so who knows what that's doing but, you know, there was this great article in the New York Post about people's reaction to the drug. And one guy said, you might go through hell. You might go through hell? I mean, I think back on my own weight loss journey and literally none of it looked like that. <laughs> none of it. Not a single day did I go through a process that sounded or felt or looked anything like going through hell. In fact, I will tell you the opposite. Most days I woke up and thought, oh my God, I can't believe how much I like my life. I can't believe how good my body and my energy feel. And this was before I lost all of the weight. This was simply a, a part of the process of healing. You know, there were such benefits to changing my nutrition and getting outside and moving more regularly that had nothing to do with weight. But then eventually I found out later through scientific studies that actually supported my healthy weight. I slept better. My thinking was clear. My mood stabilized. It turns out that all of those things are linked to eating whole and unprocessed foods, getting plenty of sunlight, having time for rest. You know, so what is good for all of you is also good for your weight. But diet culture has trained us to think of weight loss as unfun. Diet culture has trained us to think that we have to suppress our eating, that we can't be fun for a while because we've got to go do this diet, we can't go hang out with our friends, we can't do fun things. And that just was not my experience. Now, I've changed some of the definitions of fun. I don't think overconsumption is fun. 
I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel good. But I certainly never thought of the process of losing weight as waiting to jump back into my life, that I was doing this thing and then I would go jump back into my real life. Now, I'll leave it to you and your own research journey if you are thinking about using Ozempic in this particular way. I will do this unfun thing. I will suppress myself. I will you know, go through this terrible, these terrible bouts of nausea and I don't even know what else. There was a lot of GI distress in the articles that I read. And then I'll get to someplace better. My weight loss journey looked absolutely nothing like that. Um, and, and, and by extension, now what diet culture calls maintenance phase, which is just my life, um, it looks nothing like that either. And, you know, what does it say about your, your, with the work you've done on self-acceptance, that you're willing to endure extreme side effects or accept later health problems to have weight loss. I don't think that you have to love a body that doesn't feel good right now. I don't think you have to do that or like love the physical symptoms of a body that doesn't feel good. But I do think that learning how to accept yourself as you are in the particular phase of life that you were in, even if that's body neutrality, which by the way, you should definitely Google that if you're interested in that as a subject. I think it's great. Body neutrality is one that I really get on board with. Um, because to me, body neutrality and, uh, and reasonable self-acceptance are two sides of the same coin. And that is a really important part of the weight loss journey to calm down and accept where you are right now and love yourself, even if you don't necessarily love the body that it has produced, you can show love to yourself. And that's, you know, you can pick that apart on your on your own time, but let's just say that self-acceptance is absolutely the beginning of a weight loss journey, but diet culture and Ozempic presented at the end of a weight loss journey is that you will like yourself better when you lose the weight. And I disagree. This next question is a really interesting one. And I, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with your weight, this isn't one you're thinking about right now. What you're thinking about is this unruly body, this difficult body, all the words that we've put on our bodies that are really just actually uh, symptoms of our, of our insane modern world and frankly, uh, modern food processing. But it's an important question to think about because it speaks to the role of food in your life. And the question is, will it stifle your enjoyment of food? And I want to share a little bit of my story with you, and I've probably shared it before, but it's worth repeating for this particular part about whether or not Ozempic will stifle your enjoyment of food. So one of the key reasons that I abandoned dieting, and I mean abandoned, you know, I mean, I set it down and never looked back, was that I felt that it interrupted my enjoyment of food. I, I had to think about this. You know, I owned a restaurant. I came from a household that really cared about food a lot. Um, and, you know, to, to my mom's credit, real food. And for us in my household, food and culture were really woven in together. So, you know, when you reject food, you're rejecting culture. And um, a lot of people who were born from immigrants will absolutely understand what I'm talking about. But I love food. I genuinely love food. And I have been a lifetime good cook. If you look at my Instagram, you, you what you basically see <laughs> for my personal Instagram is a whole lot of food that I either made, want to make, or I'm excited to eat. And that's not an act. That's, you know, that's an important part of my, um, my pleasure in living. Now, I have reconciled where overconsumption comes in and how to deal with overconsumption. And I certainly don't think about vacations as a place to just put the feedback on and, um, you know, eat this croissant thing and that. I mean, not, I'm not knocking croissant, but like my point in saying that is that I'm not standing in every line to eat everything um, as, a, as a pleasurable thing, but I do care greatly about food. And I, in fact, that was the central, like where I'm bringing you back to is the central reason that I wanted out of diet culture was the way that I saw it treated and abused food. And I think of 
um, the pleasure of eating is being very interrupted by asking me to count calories, asking me to track my food and write things down. I'm now outsourcing. I'm now um, I'm doing a whole lot of things that are not natural to human behavior and certainly not to the enjoyment of food. So I thought about this. Now, I didn't think about it in relation to Ozempic, of course, because it wasn't available at that time. I did think about it in relation to diet culture. And so I think there's some real parallels here. Like if you are taking the drug and it has so suppressed it that you no longer really think about food as, as enjoyment or that you are enjoying food. And you, if you go Google the articles, you will see people saying this, like they miss the interest that they had in food. And the last question, does it rely on thinking you are faulty or have a faulty body? And I think the answer is pretty clearly yes, right? Like diet culture, as I've mentioned in episodes four and five, uh, I think, maybe episode three, I don't remember, but I've gone through this one before to talk about like diet culture makes you the problem. Diet culture encourages this endless focus on the self, your appetite, your metabolism, your hormones, your this, your that. So the way that I see it, the semi-glutides are really an extension of that. You are the problem that needs fixing. And, you know, wrestling with your body or like suppressing it or getting your body in, in, to, in check is very much Western thinking about how to deal with weight gain. It, you know, that's, that's really like, this is just an extreme, a more extreme version of it. But this is the, you know, almost what I would call like the end product of diet culture, you know, like forget trying to put stuff in the apps and everything like just inject yourself and get a get a, a really a drastic change but as i've made the case to you through the food processing um episode and all kinds of things the problem isn't you the problem is that you live in an obesogenic environment and you don't know how to navigate that and you have to learn to navigate it if you want a long-term healthy weight And now, as promised, let's talk about the end of my member's medical visit and my takeaways from that whole experience. And what's helpful is that she would probably concur with all of this as well. And so, um, you know, that feels pretty good to help someone else through that process, right? But in any case, she went to go see her doctor. And remember, she was offered um, semi-glutides, acceptance, or nutritional counseling. So let's talk about the nutritional counseling that she went to. Very first day, the nutritionist, this is through a medical system, through a university medical system. Very first day, the first thing that's offered is she should start food tracking, right? Which is the very thing that I tell, this is the exact thing that I ask people to stop doing from day one. And you know, like that can be a difficult thing if you've been uh, used to doing that over a lifetime. But um, I, I think it's diet culture and, and, and it teach, you know, if you, I'll put it this way. If you want to learn the skills of natural eating, you learn those skills. If you want to learn the skills of food tracking, go track your food, different things. In any case, uh, in the very first meeting, this was what was presented to her. And she said, yeah, no, thanks. I'm going to go try this program, which is where she ended up signing up with me. And here was the response from the nutritionist. She said, yeah, I don't really like it either and I don't do it. <laughs> I just thought like both of us laughed about this. This is so ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. It's, you know, it's not that I think nutritionists do a bad job or whatever. It, what I think if you zoom out for a second is that because so much of weight loss is informed by diet culture, it has seeped its way into even university medical systems where that's their, they don't have tools. They really don't have tools. They don't have good tools. And so, you know, you end up doing, relying on the good old standby that came, came up in the 1960s and these sort of half-baked diets that have now like become so pervasive. So, uh, you know, obviously she went in a different direction, but, and then she also decided uh, not to do the semi-glutides. And, you know, the reason I know all about this is that it was brought to group coaching and, and it was something that was really on her mind in the beginning. And so I thought like, great, let's do a whole group coaching about this because 
if this is something that's nagging at the back of your mind, then we need to deal with it together so that you can set it down and do the work. And that was my thinking and, and it worked and it, it was a good thing to do. And it gave me a lot of insight into how people are thinking, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode. But I think, you know, the, the semi-glutides at the doctor's office, you know, can feel very official, right? Like, well, my doctor said that and he is an expert in bodies and, and, and I take no issue with that. Where I take issue with is that whether or not for most people, this is a medical issue. Is it a disease? Is it a medical issue? Or is it a completely predictable outcome of the modern obesogenic environment to include food processing? And we don't know how to navigate that. We don't know how to navigate that. And doctors don't know how to navigate that. That's not, in fairness, that's not their skill set. That's not the thing that they have been trained to do. And so we're going and laying this problem at the feet of people who actually don't really know how to help us through. And I can tell you through my own weight loss journey, this was definitely the case. I went to see nutritionists. Really, that didn't do a whole lot for me. Not that I think that they don't understand food. What they don't understand is what is going wrong and what the blocks are to behavior change. And as I understand weight loss, it is 90% behavior change. Yes, you have to learn about your own body. My body is not the same as someone else's, but that's a process. That's a that should be a joyful process of discovery to learn about yourself. That's a benefit, not a not a downside, you know? But I went to go see my doctor and I got pat answers like eat less, move more, but nothing about the obstacles, the obstacles to doing that, which are actually embedded into people's lives. So what I would tell you is that I think people are going to the wrong places for solutions. Now, I understand that, you know, a little bit here I'm promoting myself although this is the purpose of doing this podcast and you know I think in the beginning I was very sheepish about this you know I felt like well who am I to talk about this and my god when I like like when I launched this program I was terrified <laughs> terrified terrified I was like who am I to be talking about this and you know like I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not an expert in medicine, and what am I bringing to this process? But over the last two and a half years, I have learned what I'm bringing to this process, which is that I am, for a lot of people, not for everyone, I don't wanna make a blanket statement about how I can help every person on the planet, but for people who are very much in a similar system as I was, or chronic weight gain, what I am doing is showing you how and where to have behavior change and what is blocking that behavior change and how to evaluate food and how to do all of these things by trusting yourself, that none of that is a thing that is learned in medical school or frankly, even nutritionists. And again, I think these professions really have an important role in society, but I would posit to you whether or not they have an important role in weight loss. So. I hope I've given you some amazing tools to think about Ozempic or the semi-glutides and make a good decision for yourself. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Diet, the podcast. You can find me on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you're interested in delving into the process of weight loss without dieting, I have a fantastic workshop available. It's free. And you can access it by going to notanotherdiet.co front slash weight loss for life. I'll see you next time.